Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. You better be careful. And there's so much accountability in the Word of God, and that's what I love about the Word of God. It's like a broken record sometimes because it's replete with um, statements of, be careful, watch what you're doing. I told you in advance, this is what's going to happen. Now, if you choose to do the wrong thing, this is what I'm going to do. But if you do the right thing, I'm also going to do all of those things. And so now you have the record right before you, and then the decision is yours. The decision is yours. Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn that before those two and a half tribes leave to go back across the Jordan, Joshua gives them an exhortation and a blessing. He tells them to diligently heed the word of God in the sense of carefully hearing it and knowing it. He tells them to love the Lord and to obey him with all they have, to keep his commandments, hold fast to him, and to serve him with all their heart and soul. As Christians, we shouldn't miss the order here. We should first hear God, then we give Him our love, then we walk in obedience. Now let's join Pastor Rob in Joshua chapter 22, verse 5. In God's kingdom, our hearts are going to be so overwhelmed that we're going to look back and say, Lord, I wished I would have understood. I wish I would have understood way back then the glories that I have now and that are even still ahead of me yet. Lord, if I had just considered it deeply, I would have changed so many different things. But we don't change. And I'm hoping tonight you will change. Because I think we're all changing, but sometimes I can be resistant. I can be like that dog on a leash. Instead of taking a dog for a walk, I'm taking the dog for a drag. I'm grabbing him by the leash, and he's got all four sticking out like this. And sometimes I'm like that with the Lord. Does that ring a bell with you sometimes? I think we're very similar, or can be anyway, not that that's true for everyone. But notice what he says in verse 10 here. He says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good, and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are what? They're on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Okay, so that's... This is what we are called to do, just like those tribes, those two and a half tribes. They're going to go help their brothers. And certainly they didn't even have the advantage that you and I have of the Spirit of God indwelling us if you're a believer in Christ. If you have the Spirit of God in you, that's something that the Old Testament believers never had. A permanent indwelling. The Spirit of God came upon them at times and caused them to do some really amazing things. But the Spirit of God did not indwell the believer until Christ. 
until his death and resurrection, until the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God will come upon us, but the Spirit of God needs to come in you. That's the only claim that you have to being a Christian is that the Spirit of God is in you, in you. In 1 John chapter 3, finally, I just want to read one more passage here. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 16, it says, By this, John says, we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And just like these guys, they're going to lay down their lives, because they're going to go in and fight with their brothers. Maybe some of them wouldn't come back. I don't know the statistics. I don't know what the Bible tells us. There's really no mention of, of any lives being lost. You know, in certain, in certain engagements, they lost some. We know that at AI, they lost 36 men. But in the other ones, did they lose any? Don't know. The Bible doesn't really say. Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And see, that's what we got to return to. You may not have to lay down your physical life, but, you know, sometimes just being inconvenienced. Being inconvenienced for a little bit for someone else to really bless them, to really make their day, I tell you, is something that we ought to consider doing. Because if you're like me, sometimes I just get to the point where I'm like, you know, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I got my own plans today, and that's what I'm going to do. And God says, but I got a plan. When you woke up this morning, did you have, um, was your plan, what's, what, was that the thing that was on the altar of your heart today, Rob? Or am I allowed to intermingle in your day? Am I allowed to take control of your day even? Maybe I want you to do this. Maybe I want you to make that phone call. I know you don't want to make that phone call, but I want you to make that phone call. Maybe I want you to send flowers to this person. Maybe you need to write a card to somebody. Maybe you just need to give them a call. Send them a quick text. Hey, thinking of you, praying for you. And then pray for them. And then go about your day, Rob. But am I willing to be inconvenienced? But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And so we, we, we're exhorted to love. We're exhorted to, to be compassionate and to love one another. Let's go on to verse 5 here in our text tonight. But notice what Joshua says. He says, Okay, but take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk in all of his ways to keep his commandments and to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. So you guys are going to go back, but you better be careful. And there's so much accountability in the word of God, and that's what I love about the word of God. It's like a broken record sometimes because it's replete with um, statements of be careful, watch what you're doing. I told you in advance this is what's going to happen. Now, if you choose to do the wrong thing, this is what I'm going to do. But if you do the right thing, I'm also going to do all of those things. And so now you have the record right before you, and then the decision is yours. The decision is yours. And that's what Mo, or Joshua now here is telling these two and a half tribes. You better take careful heed, verse 5, to do the commandment. And so verse 6, Joshua blessed them, and he sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. You remember on the, um, in the northern part up on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River, at the, near the top there, uh, by Mount Hermon, and on the right side of the Sea of Galilee, that was the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's one part of it. But the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward, just across the Jordan River, the, uh, another half-tribe of Manasseh, they, they had the other side. And he says, Indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. And he spoke to them, verse 8, saying, Return with much riches. Notice this. Circle this verse, because it's kind of important. 
And he spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. And notice, underline this, divide the spoil of your enemies with who? Your brethren. You guys have been helping the the western tribes. You've helped them get into where they're going to be. Now I want you to take all that booty, all that stuff that you have obtained in those raids and in those things. I want you to take them back, and I want you to give them and, and, and divide that spoil with those that stayed behind, that stayed behind. In fact, I love this idea, this principle. And no doubt King David may have had this event Uh, that we're reading tonight in mind when he made the men divide the spoils of war with those who guarded the stuff. Um, You don't have to go to 1 Samuel 30, but I would have you just make a note of 1 Samuel chapter 30, and you can read it on your own. But let me just summarize it because it's really interesting because we know that uh, Saul, or I'm sorry, David was on the run from Saul. Uh, David had already been anointed king, and Saul was going after David. He was so insanely jealous of him. He hated him. Because he was a warrior, he was a gifted musician, and, and, and certainly the hand of God was upon him, and it was departing from Saul very quickly, and so Saul was hunting him like a, like a deer in the forest. Hunting him. And you recall that David uh, was given a, a city by a Philistine king, and it was called Ziklag. And so David and his uh, 600 mighty men, and, and these men had wives, so their wives and their kids, they all hung out at Ziklag. And one of the times when they were out on a battle, uh, 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 apart from Ziklag, the Amalekites came up and they enclosed Ziklag and they took David's two wives and all of the men, his mighty men, he took their wives, their sons and their daughters, took them captive. They didn't kill them, but they burned the city of Ziklag and they took the, the people. And so when David and his mighty men come back, you know, they're, they're, uh, obviously they're going to go after um, the, the Amalekites. And before this war, there, there were 600 of them, and 200 of them were so uh, exhausted, they decided that they just couldn't do it, and so they stayed behind. But David took another 400 of those men, and they went after them. And the good news is that David recovered all. He recovered his wives the men's wives and their sons and their daughters were all brought back to them. All their goods, all those things were brought back. But I love what it says in First Samuel chapter 30, beginning in verse 21. It says, And David, he came to the 200 men. Uh, remember, they, they stayed behind watching the stuff while the 400 went out and engaged in the battle. And it says, David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezor, And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. And they then answered all the wicked men and the men of Belial who were among the 400 that David had taken with him. Um, He said, of those that went with David, and they said, because they were not with us, we will not give them anything of the spoil that we've recovered. In other words, these guys didn't go to war. We did. So guess what? They don't get nothing. We get everything. (laughs) Right? It sounds, sounds all good, right? Because they went not with us, he will not give them any of, of the spoil that we had recovered, uh, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. But notice what David said. He says, You ought not to do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord has given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came before us into your hand. 
And in verse 24, he lays it out. He says, For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as this, as his part is that goes down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarries by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this very day. And where did David learn that from? I think it's very probable that he learned it from Joshua here. Encouraging those men, those people who stayed over on the eastern side as they brought the plunder from these battles, brought them back. They divided them with the people that stayed back. And I I think David was a man of God's word, and we know that, that he was a man after God's own heart. If he was a man after God's own heart, that means David knew the Old Testament. He knew the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, much of the other, that, that, may be, that may have been all they had, but not very much else. But David knew. He knew what had happened. And so, verse 9 in our text, So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they returned, departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh. Remember, Shiloh is this, uh, the very first place that they really settled down after all of the battles have done, after all the uh, partitioning of the land. They set up the tabernacle for the first time with the altar there at Shiloh. And you can read about that in Joshua 18 and the first couple verses there. So they departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead. Gilead is, uh, if you think of Israel, it's sort of like in the Jordan Valley, there is just like this depression in the land. Um, there's a depression in the land, and on each side of the Jordan Valley is, is a mountain range. And over here on the east side of the Jordan is uh, the Mount Gilead, or the Gilead. It's a mountain range. It's along the eastern side of the Jordan River. And then, of course, over here on the other side, you have different mountain ranges. But the, everything on the west or on the east side is uh, Gilead. So they have attained according to uh, the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. But notice what happens, verse 10. The plot thickens. The key changes from G major to G minor. <laughs> Things start, start getting a little sideways. It says, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, so they're on their way back, right? So right as they get close to the Jordan River, about ready to cross over, they have a good thought, or at least they think. So the children of Gad and the Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side, so on the west side of the river. So verse 12, And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them, to go to war against their own brothers, because they built an altar. Now, the question is, why? And that's a teaser because I'm not going to tell you yet. But notice how important communication is between people. These two and a half tribes could have said to Joshua and to the men, before they left, before they departed, they could have said to them, you know what, guys, this is what we want to do. And here's the reasoning behind it. And it probably could have avoided all of what we're going to read next. But they didn't communicate. It's kind of funny. I don't mean to be so hard on men, but, you know, uh, because I'm a man, I'll, I'll, I'll be hard on myself. It's kind of funny that these brothers, you know, communication probably wasn't their best suit. Instead of talking about their feelings, you know, I feel like, 
you know, I, I, th- I think that, you know, the Lord might be putting on my heart to build an altar there, you know, I don't know. You know, they, they weren't really into feelings. They're just like, we're going. And so they, they grab their stuff and they go. Maybe the thought occurred to them as they're about ready to cross over, and, the, and it starts kicking in. The thought starts kicking in their mind. And because I believe in my heart that these two and a half tribes are starting to feel something at this point, and I think it was the Lord. And it wasn't a good thing, because they knew that if they didn't do something right here on this side of the Jordan, on the western side, and we're going to look at this shortly, that they were going to feel closed off. They were going to feel like nobody. They're going to feel like an ostracized. And because their heart had already drifted, because they saw the land, there was already something in there. There was a seed. There was a germ of sin. And I think the Lord was just going, you better be careful. But they didn't have to do this. Let's read on. So then the children of Israel, verse 13, they sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest of the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. So the guys on the west go to the guys on the east, and with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the child, uh, from each of the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of a house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Notice verse 15. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead. And then they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have built yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? So their rebellion was in building the altar. And you may be thinking to yourself, What do you mean? Well, the reason for the upheaval is that they were only to worship at one altar. At one altar. It was to be in Shiloh. Remember, the tabernacle had been set up in Shiloh. That's where the, that's where the altar was. That's where the sacrifices would take place. God told them, they all knew this, that is the place. That is the place. That is the place. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12. We're going to look at the first 11 verses because you'll see why this was such a big deal and why this was such a provocation to war. Notice, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 1. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God of your fathers has given you to possess. Notice, all the, all the days that you live on the earth, you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall possess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, and you shall destroy their altars, you shall break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images, which are images of Ashtaroth, with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things." With such things. But notice in verse 5, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and you shall go there. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which he you have put your, uh, put your um, excuse me, you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord God has blessed you. 
You shall not do as we are all doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come into the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. Because remember, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, they hadn't crossed over the Jordan yet. So he's, he's telling them in advance. But when you cross over, but when you cross over, the Jordan, and, are, and dwell in the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safely, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, and there you shall bring all that I command you. Again, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vowed to the Lord. And so these are, this is the reason why there was such an upheaval. It was supposed to be in one place, and so they decide to make a, bring it upon themselves to make an altar. Now, had they even told them beforehand Guys, we're not, you know, this is the reason we're doing this. There was no communication. And look how communication, and especially between husband and wife, sometimes I feel like a husband and wife can be like, you know, these two and a half tribes and these others. You know, just no communication, so now we're at war with one another. And even in the body of Christ, how we need to communicate. You know, we've got these devices, and we can communicate in so many different ways, and yet communication is the thing that's still suffering. I find it interesting that two people can be uh, in a restaurant. I'll never forget a year or two ago, my wife and I were in a restaurant here in Penfield, and an older couple than us, I mean, they were probably in their 60s, and they're both sitting down at their table, and they both got their phones. And they're like, they're on a date. And, and, and she's updating her Facebook. He's doing something else. And every now and then they'd say, hey, what are you going to order? And then back they go. And I'm like, they're communicating with everybody else but not with the person they love. So anyway. Ugh. So throw the phone against the wall and communicate. Now, this is what got Jeroboam in such trouble. You remember after the... After David died and Solomon took over, remember when Solomon passed away, he had a son named Rehoboam. And after Solomon died, that is when the kingdom of Israel split in two, uh, to ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. Jeroboam, one of his generals, one of Solomon's generals, took over those ten northern tribes. And and, um, Rehoboam was really over Judah and Jerusalem. But what did Jeroboam do? What was the thing that got him into trouble In fact, the Lord was so angry with this man for what he did. He built two altars because the southern two tribes had what? Jerusalem, and that's where the the tabernacle was. That's where everything was supposed to take place. But Jeroboam is thinking to himself, hmm, I got ten tribes. I better think of something quick or everyone's going to want to go down there. So he hatches a plan. Let's build an altar in Bethel, and then we'll build another one up in Dan, And then we'll put two golden calves, and we'll put on one of those crystal balls, you know, those things that revolve around it, and it'll hit the gold, and it'll just be like, uh, uh, you know, it'll it'll, it'll be a dazzling display. Everyone will be happy. Everyone will feel good inside, and they'll come back, and they'll come back, and and we'll even get a good band, some electric guitars and some smoke coming off the stage. Feed them lots of cotton candy. Get them all doped up on sugar. Lights. Of course, I'm having fun with this, aren't I? But you get the idea. So he got into serious trouble because idolatry, idolatry. And so the seed of it was back here. Thank God that the the two and a half tribes, their heart wasn't really so. 
And besides, it wasn't really necessary that they built this altar. And why do I say that? Because what it says in Exodus 23, just write this reference down. Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17. And this is what it says. And this is why the, the, the altar wasn't necessary. Because what did God tell them many, many years prior to this? I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.